0: Come Holy Spirit, touch our minds and think with them. Touch our lips and speak with them. And touch our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Amen. Beloved, we return from an expansive time of silence, reflection, and meditation some of us have read, others have sought the confessor's ear, or spiritual guidance. Some may have caught up on email. We are not taking a check here. The sustained period of quiet, however it was used, invariably puts us in some uncomfortable places. We think about things we haven't had the time to think about, but probably should have. And some of those things, what we ponder Can trouble us as much as they can help and comfort us. We intentionally enter into these vulnerable places in hopes that God's will will have God's way with us. As I suggested in our meditation this morning, much good comes as we chronicle the alphabet of our years and become acquainted with our own humanity. Our day has been a kind of wilderness experience, albeit truncated. We've altered the rhythm and speech and hearing have been muted. And now we come back to the familiar. We're back in chapel. The opening acclamation demands our response. We know what will happen next in this Eucharistic rite. And we now prepare to reenter the the normal world of spoken words, regrettably many spoken words. And as you tackle your studies, many words read and many words written. As the, the leader of this quiet day, I worked with our team and we made a bunch of decisions. And one decision I made rather quickly was that we would use the lectionary's commemoration of William Temple for this service. Uh, I love history and love biography, so I'm always drawn to these commemorations and I just jumped at it. Ah, another little mini biography. And then belatedly, I began to think, okay, now how am I going to inter- integrate this into the theme of this day that I already and for some time had, had in mind? So now you're going to be recipients of a, a degree of dissonance between where I left you with the painting of Edward Hicks and the person and, and world. Of William Temple, and if I if I do this just right, it might actually weave together in a constructive way. See, unlike Edward Hicks, William Temple was not a pacifist. Indeed, his active ministry spanned a time of two world wars. As Archbishop of York, as the Second World War began, and and briefly as Archbishop of Canterbury, as most at the war's most intense period before his untimely death, Temple lived into the complexities of Christian leadership with no easy or clear answers. He recognized human sin and frailty, including his own. He would have agreed with, no doubt, Reinhold Niebuhr, that the children of light must be armed with the wisdom of the children of darkness, but remain free from their malice. He believed deeply in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's appropriate that we, we have the gospel from John and those famous words that the Word became flesh and lived among us for our Gospel lesson today. For Temple anchored his understanding, his theological grounding in the incarnation, rooted his work right there. And so, as a bishop in Manchester, and an archbishop in York, and finally as Archbishop of Canterbury, He clearly led with a preference for the poor and understood the church's role as a force for a just society. Earlier than most, he spoke against Nazism, and as the world was at war, did not forget those who were being put in concentration camps because of their faith. He was a great teacher and preacher, who brought the scholar's mind to all that he did. And by all accounts, he worked himself to death. The truth be told is that today we really do actually need William Temple in our midst. Without him, we might simply ease back into the painting before us without the realism and depth of his way. We might leave this day with warm fuzzies and sippy kind of pie in the sky, by and by theology, but the realities of the 20th century and these first 17 years of this century do not give us that luxury. Edward Hicks and William Temple lived generations apart, truly different theological perspectives, Quaker and Anglican. One is remembered for his folksy, redundant paintings. The other one was loved and grieved by a nation. Yet chance and my own stubbornness brought them together today. And, And they belong together. We need them both. That imaginative painter takes us to the dream of God so gracefully spoken of by a prophet in another age of fear and anxiety. God's dream is that we not be at war. God's call is a call of peace. Yet that road to peace is so elusive and never simple and never easy. The pilgrim's way is never straight and hardly ever particularly clear. I'm mindful that every age has its crises and its threats. From our lens, the early part of the 19th century might look as idyllic as the Hicks paintings of the peaceable kingdom, but it was a time of growing anxiety, and conflict over the question of slavery. Hicks lived and experienced one of the most divisive presidential elections, the one between John Quincy Adams and Andrew Jackson, in which one candidate received the popular votes and the electoral votes, but somehow was not elected as the House of Representatives made that decision. Does that sound slightly familiar to you all? And Temple, he lived through a time of great labor unrest, in in addition to the international crisis of two world wars, and he faced the insanity of Nazism, including the Holocaust. And yet, our time, well, it is our time, is also a time of profound anxiety and danger. We can simply list the words, ISIS, North Korea, DACA, Affordable Care Act, Russian intervention, sexual harassment. Where do I stop? You feel the tension, the anxiety. I want to simply offer you this, that Edward Hicks' paintbrush and William Temple's pen have a great deal to say to us. They give us imagery and text for our own striving. They help us along the way. Temple invites us to that realism that Niebuhr talked about, and Hicks permits us to be dreamers. As I suggested earlier in the day, Hick's painting opens up to us important questions. Who is in your painting of the peaceable kingdom? Who do you need to lie down with in the meadow? What do you need to give up? And with Temple, we might ask questions about confronting evil. What does it mean to love our enemies? What does it mean and take to be a peacemaker? I love motion pictures and sometimes I find in them incredible theology. One such film came in 1983. You may have seen it. Places of the heart. Sally Fields plays the wife of a sheriff in a small East Texas town during the Depression. Mrs. Spaulding is how she is usually addressed, and the movie begins with her husband going out on a call and accidentally being shot by a drunken African-American boy who, in just a matter of a couple hours, is summarily lynched. As a result of this trauma, Mrs. Spalding quickly risks losing her small farm and home. It's the Depression, after all. As the story unfolds, she and her children find solidarity with two unlikely characters, an African-American sharecropper named Moses and a blind World War I veteran who canes chairs in their home to sell and makes brooms. There's a way that she can hold on to her farm. If they can put together a crop of cotton and be the first one to the gin, they'll get the prize money and be able to pay the mortgage. And so with Moses as their guide, they begin to break the ground and plant the crop and tend the crop and they harvest the crop, and miracle of miracles, they get the first crop end. The story seems to come to a conclusion after their success with the clan showing up in the middle of the night to beat Moses, that uppity man, and he packs up and leaves town in the dark of the night. It's the movie's Golgotha, but it's not the final chapter. The final chapter is a veritable hat tip to Isaiah and to Edward Hicks. It's Sunday in church, and I wish I could tell you it was an Episcopal church. (laughs) Judy, I think it was a Baptist church. And it's communion. And all the community is gathered. And communion starts to be distributed just like we did a couple weeks ago, going down the row, each person taking the bread. And first Mrs. Spalding takes it, and then you notice that she's passing it on to her husband and her children, and then to the blind man, and then to Moses and who passes it on to the clansmen, and so on and so forth. The peaceable kingdom. I'm struck by the words that they use. They, they say peace of God when they give it each to another. I'm not sure how they're spelling peace. I'm not sure. But what I know Is it's an image of communion, sweet communion. None of them belonged together. They wouldn't have chosen each other. All are broken, a widow, innocent children, a blind man, a poor sharecropper, and racist South. To the world they have no power, they are weak but all were partners in an enterprise of a new creation where things that were cast down were being raised up and things which had had grown old were being made new. In just a very few moments, we will break our silence and we'll do so by renewing our baptismal covenant. We first acknowledge who God is who creates us We give ourselves to Jesus, the power of redemption. We trust in the Holy Spirit to guide and empower us. And then we make those five solemn promises about how we will be the the touchstones of living the Christian life, to continue in the apostles' teaching, to be a people of forgiveness, to proclaim the gospel, to seek Christ and others, to strive for justice and peace, respecting the dignity of every human being we will perform in a drama on the world's stage, confronting evil when necessary and always standing for those in need or distress. With these graces upon grace, we become actors yet again in the story of our lives, pledging to merge our story into God's sacred narrative. We'll be participants in living paintings of that peaceable kingdom. Recalling our commemoration of William Temple and our collet for today, may we rejoice with courage, confidence, and faith in the Word made flesh. And may we be led to establish that city which has justice for its foundation and love for its law. And finally, on this day, as we prepare to go to the table of Jesus, may we remember our fundamental offering, which we pray this day is in some measure purified, ourselves, our souls, and bodies. We are not singular, but members, members of the body. And so even though we went away in silence, we are never, never untethered from each other or really alone. And what we bring to this body is ourselves and all that we are, weakness and strength, all that we are. It turns out that Edward Hicks was not only a painter, but a sometime preacher. And as sort of an advertisement about how wonderful our library system is, I actually came across a couple of his sermons. I offer you his words to accompany his painting as a sort of benediction for our day. Christ now sends thee an invitation to come unto him. He is graciously disposed to make bare his arm for thy deliverance. While anxious for many things, be not unmindful of the one thing needful. If any are in the predicament of striving with their own strength, they must cease from their works. We are too apt to rely on ourselves for help. But if we give way to God, he will interpose and sustain us. And so, dear ones, let us now break the silence, doing so with creedal affirmations and the ancient words of Christian greeting, promises and a grace to one another. May our striving be to share ourselves, our true selves, bruised and broken, yet made whole by our blessed Savior. And in our sharing, may we become one. Peace be to the whole community.